Hey everyone, how's it going? Feeling some joy, perhaps? Maybe some relief? I am ecstatic because the Dodgers finally won the World Series. Not since 1988. And I've been following them since about 93 when I moved to L.A. And they did it in six games. The last game being kind of a, a bullpen game and we didn't even need Bueller again. And we did it against Blake Snell, who was dominating. And he was pulled because of all the analytics. Someone told him to to get pulled. Um, so that's the state. And it's just ironic because us Dodger fans have been burned so many times by choices based on analytics, especially pitching changes. We have suffered and gotten our hearts broken I don't know how many times in the postseason. But, you know, this year it just kind of, the baseball gods were smiling on us and it just kind of went our way. So congrats to the Dodgers for um, for doing it this year, getting it done. And our assistant GM, Kim Ng, just got the number one job as general manager for the Miami Marlins. So that was pretty awesome because not only is she the first female GM, she's the first, I think, she's the first non-white person to get a GM position at a major league baseball um, office. So good on Derek Jeter for picking somebody as overqualified and obviously astute as Kim Ng. And... What else is going on? Um, oh, yeah, we have a new president, President-elect Joe Biden. Um, no secret, I am a Democrat and voted for him in Kamala, who is also my senator. So maybe we can uh, get a plan so we can all get out of our houses and get back to normal. That would be awesome. Anywho... Today on my show, I'm going to talk to my friend Gavin Wynn. Gavin has a pretty interesting job. I'll let him tell you about it. And um, it's kind of an interview slash movie review. We're going to review First Cow, which was directed and written by Kelly Reichardt with her writing partner, John Raymond. And it stars John Magro as Cookie Figowitz, who plays a Jewish cook. And Orion Lee as King Lou, a Chinese immigrant. Toby Jones as the chief factor. He's kind of like the man in charge of this small little town in Oregon. And his number number one guy, Lloyd, played by Ewan Bremer. And it takes place in the Oregon Territory around 1820. And it's a little slice of life on the frontier of America during that time. It's about friendship between Cookie and King Lou, these two outsiders trying to make their way in this new land. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. So today I have my friend Gavin Wynn, who, can we tell the people what you do for a living? Oh. 
what do I do? I work as a camera assistant mostly, uh, mm-hmm. and I make my own uh, indie films as both a director and a DP. Cool. And how did we meet? <laughs> uh, we met on the movie that you acted in called <laughs> Yellow. Uh, it's a 1997 movie. Uh, have you talked about it before on the show? No, no, no. Oh. No. I mean, just, maybe it's when I talked to maybe it's ninety eight here. When I talked to Jason Tobin, we talked about it just a little bit, but oh, it was my oh I, well, I can tell you from my experience, it was my f- second movie as a second AC, like ever. Mm. So uh, I was still very new to the business, and uh, uh, did you yeah. go to film school? I was in film school at the time while I was working on. Which one? On yellow. Oh, oh, Cal State Fullerton. Oh, oh, okay, cool. And did you end up graduating from Cal State Fullerton? I did, yes. Mm-hmm. With a film degree? Well, they they don't actually have a film degree at that school at the time. Now they do, um, but it's a, with a comm degree. Mm, okay, cool. And then I think you ended up working with a bunch of indie directors and then the last time we chatted i think you were working on a tv show right yes i was working on modern family for all 11 seasons wow as a camera assistant as a camera assistant yeah cool so did they shoot on like movie digital films or they didn't shoot any kind of tv studio three camera setup stuff right oh no it's a single camera setup what what they would what it's considered a single camera, but there's always, typically there's always two cameras running at the same time. Okay. Now, is that just to save time? Yeah, to get coverage of, like, dialogue. So, especially in comedy, they don't want to lose the improv that's used. So, mm-hmm. if you shoot, like, with a single camera, then you're missing all the stuff that's happening on the other side. So, it keeps the continuity and uh, they can keep both sides going. But I think it's pretty typical now for comedy, even some dramas, TV dramas for sure, too. So so today's film is First Cow. I had not heard of this film oh, good. before this you exciting. suggested it. I was like, hmm, okay. It's a dairy, dairy I, I think movie. that's going to be typical <laughs> like, with me. <laughs> I have no idea what I'm getting into. Um, so First Cow was directed by Kelly, is it right? Reichart, Kelly Reichart, Reichart, mm-hmm. uh, based on the book by Jonathan Raymond, and they co-wrote the script together. So it's about you know the first cow coming to the Oregon Territory in the eight, early eighteen hundreds, and um, just about the lifestyle that um, you're sort of just dropped into the forest, <laughs> and you you see all these people, and you're like. You're trying to make sense of all this. Like, where am I? When am I? <laughs> like, what, what's going on? Because <laughs> I didn't want to read up on it because I wanted to be surprised um, by what was going on. But um, so why did you want to check this movie out? Have you seen her other films? Well, I've actually seen this movie before. Um, oh, just, you saw it before. Okay. Yes. I just really liked it and wanted to watch it again. <laughs> oh, okay. It's, it's fun to see... Uh, this character, especially King Lou's character in the Old West, which I don't think you... Have you seen this in a movie before? Uh, 
uh, a Chinese guy in the old west. Yeah. Besides building railroads. Mm. Mm. Sometimes they're always like the Chinese operated laundries, right? Right. And all that kind of stuff. But they always get I mean, minor character, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, I wrote a whole movie. About well, well, besides it, so. your movie. <laughs> yeah. And he he only initially works on the railroad, but he ends up um, working on a southern plantation. And he ends up being kind of the overseer of other Chinese men on the plantation. So, so for my film, it was more about he ends up, he first arrives as an immigrant on the, the lowest part of society. And as he moves east, and that's in the west, and as he moves east, he goes back into a more European type of America where um, European civilization is regarded as superior. So he ends up on this um, plantation in, New in uh, Louisiana, which is controlled by the French. And so he starts buying into all that, that he's superior to the, to the men that he is overseeing. And he sides with the plantation owner more, to you know, more times than he's side siding with the men of his own ethnic background but um but i felt like they were doing that here too like they they regarded european culture as elite to you know american culture which was more thought of as a backwater you know i think that's why that clafu tea was such a important thing right. <laughs> for him to make yeah so we're gonna you know make this french pastry but we're gonna make it with American ingredients, right? We're yeah. going to show you like American America can be just as civilized and as refined as European culture. So, well, they're yeah. all chasing money, right? So they're all chasing what they want to be rich, and everyone wants to be rich, and so the old American idea is not that, and the European idea is that, and that's what they're kind of striving for. Um, well, they're trying to turn this vast country into Europe. Yes. Yeah. So they're trying to bring that European culture, that class system, you know, um, to America and um, where the white colonial settlers are on top. But it's true. Like her direction, I mean... I don't want to pigeonhole, but I would say like it's definitely more feminine. Yeah, I would say because there's so much more um, time. Like there are lots of long tracking shots mm -hmm. where you're the camera person <laughs> and you're walking backward, and someone is walking through the forest, you know, towards you. There's just a lot of long tra tracking shots and a lot of um, long takes. Where you're watching the barge float down the river or the yeah. cow float down the river. Well, I guess it's maybe to mimic the pace of what that was like. Mm -hmm. yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, it makes sense. And then she you know, spends a lot of time showing you just daily life, which you don't see in other Westerns that are directed by men. And... Um, there weren't a lot of women there, but she does take little, t you know, little um, 
she inserts some takes where you can see how the women interact with each other, which is really sweet. Um, it's like when they're at the chief factor's house and the men all leave to go look at the cow. And then the, the chief factor's wife, who's Native American, but she's dressed in Western clothing, is sitting with another, um, the, I think she's the daughter of the Indian chief. And they're just kind of chatting and, um, you know, the wife is sort of stroking this beautiful beaded necklace thing that the other girl is wearing. So just those little exchanges like that, like, you know, like a male <laughs> director wouldn't have spent time um, shooting that. Um, well, even but, even um, using that as a as a transition to this, I don't know if it would be a, a female male thing, but it was it's a, it was a I I enjoyed those moments to give you a little glimpse of what things were like. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean it's sweet because it's yeah it's like you can really like what can I say like the um, her directing style is very rooted very earthy hmm. it's like i felt like everyone needed to go wash their hands <laughs> <laughs> well, like you could see right? the yeah. you could see the dirt under you know everyone's fingernails right and you know there's like oh he, yeah. he needs a nail brush yeah like, well, also um, he, remember yeah. he was giving the oily cake to uh chief factor the first time mm -hmm. and his hands mm -hmm. were covered with the the homemade <laughs> gloves right and he's heading to like how how is he accepting this? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So yeah. authentic, but yeah, I was like, ooh, yeah, everyone everyone needs to go <laughs> wash their hands. Um, but um, I think those details are why it reminds me of the piano so much. Like, you remember the piano, right? I don't remember as good as you, but I remember oh, liking okay. the movie. You should watch it again, especially since you just saw this one. I just felt very, I was like, wow, this is like very similar because they're in a frontier land, mm -hmm. you know, white colonialists trying to turn New Zealand into England, basically. And um, the different cultures that are coming in contact with each other. Um, and, you know, her visuals are so striking in that movie. Jane Campion's. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, they're amazing. You yeah, know. She's great. Yeah. I guess it's the novelist who paired up the Jewish man with the Chinese man. And they made him very <laughs> much <laughs> capitalist, right, right. entrepreneurial. Yeah, uh, I didn't put that together, but that's a very good, very good observation. <laughs> so I was like, I'm sure it's no accident. Yeah. Right, right. <laughs> like those Chinese, those Jewish guys are really good at business. <laughs> very entrepreneurial. But yeah, Cookie but... wasn't very entrepreneurial. It's really it was really King Lou that was more entrepreneurial, right? Yeah, King Lou, well, they complement each other, right? King Lou had the, the hustle. Yeah. Right. He's like the the talker. Like he's the guy he's the closer, right? He goes into the meeting and he's like, This is what we're gonna do. And um, Cookie is more of the, he's the one who's, you know, comes up with the good product. Yeah. Yeah. So it was, it was a good match. And I'm sure that's why they had a good friendship as long as it was. But yeah. So what, what did you I'm think curious of about the, the book now. What did you think of King Lou's character? 
in the movie? Like, mm, I mean, I of course liked it because he's Asian, but he's not speaking in some Ching Chong dialect. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, he's, for sure. And he's and he's up there, and he's um, he's portraying a real person with a real past who has his own hopes and dreams, you know, and he's trying to eke out this living and make his way in America, just like every other immigrant that came here, you know. Exactly, yeah. But but he's going to have a harder time, you know, and Cookie is too, kind of, even though he passes for white, you know, he's not Christian, so, you know, that would that would give him some problems later on if he lived, but... Well, even the way sort of he was treated by chief factor you can tell that when he first got the oily cake um he spoke directly to cookie and when king lu interjected he just sort of dismissed whatever he said and like mm-hmm. he wasn't a human and even when they were caught with the when they were trying stealing the, the milk uh he yelled out cookie's name and then he said the chinaman he didn't even bother to learn King Lu's name. You know? mm-hmm. So that was also a view of how the colonialism saw non-whites uh, at the time. Which I thought was oh, for sure. A good portrayal. You know? um, right. I mean, that's their view of King Lu. But for me as a viewer and being Asian, uh, <laughs> I was, you know, I was like, oh, he's like a real person. They didn't make yeah, him this great. cartoon yeah. character, right? And you see, like, he's really, you know, trying to get this hustle going on. Um, but, um, yeah, it was surprising because I was like, the chief factor, <laughs> the, the cookie's talking to him in English and you would think the chief factor would be like, Oh, you speak English. That's true. That's a good point. Yeah. <laughs> like you would, right. you, yeah, yeah. Would, you would think that that would be a little different, you know, and he's not speaking in some heavily Asian thick accent. You know, he's, he's, he sounds like an English person, you yeah. know. Even the people so, who buy the oily cakes, like the, the, no, the normal townspeople, they don't really react to him speaking English either. Like that. Yeah. But... I guess, like, you have to think in that day and age, like, everything was changing so fast that you sort of got numb to it, I think. Yeah. You know, like, you're you're getting people in from everywhere, you know, and most of the white people that would land there didn't speak English, right? That's true. Like, yeah. a lot of them. They're, like, coming from all parts of Europe, like, the Russians were there. Um, I'm from Alaska and there's like, there was a huge Russian history in Alaska. So, um, before, you know, people from America, like the lower 48 came up. So, um, so I think they were just kind of going with the flow. (laughs) It's like everyone is coming here from every place. And I think, I mean, wasn't Hong Kong already an English colony by then? Oh, I'm not sure. In the 1820s, like I feel like, I feel like they were already there, and I feel like Chinese were already speaking English <laughs> for a while. Well, King Lu did say he was from the Canton region, so uh, maybe mm-hmm. he lived in Hong Kong. 
he probably speaks yeah. Cantonese. Yeah, but he never speaks Chinese in, I mean, Cantonese or Mandarin in the film. So Yeah, which is good too. Yeah. So to me, it's like he sort of um, left that world behind, you know, because he doesn't really go back to it, you know. He's like, this is my lane. I'm America all the way. <laughs> <laughs> Speak English, and I'm going to try to get this bakery thing off the ground here. So, um, but no, it was really good. Like, like I said, I've never heard of this director or I'm out of it. I'm mostly a stay at home mom now, but, um, but yeah, I'm going to have to go back and check out her other films for sure. I think when, when you watch a movie like this, it's about the atmosphere and how you sort of are propelled into this world, right? And this world of... Uh, the old west of you know the early 1800s and uh, I think Kelly Riker does a really great job of making you feel like you're there and experiencing what everyone's experiencing and you know those little moments of little nuanced moments of like the whisk the wooden whisk um, being used and just walking around and uh, cutting firewood and trapping squirrels and Stuff like that is just kind of give you an idea of what these things that maybe a lot of movies from that time period don't show. I think what's really awesome about her movies is that you're just, you're in it, you're immersed into this world. And a lot of movies don't do that. They're so focused on things that drives the story forward. But to me, this is what the movie is about. This is what the movie is. This is the story, right? And you being part of the story is better than any other kind of you know movie that just sort of gives you this kind of fantasy i guess the fantasy is wrong word but something like that and i think you know the the photography is really gorgeous and the sound and uh the little snippets of even the people in the town that the the villager, uh, I shouldn't say villager, the townsperson that sees Cookie and King Blue walking, giving glaring looks, you know, little mm-hmm. glimpses of what, especially coming from an Asian American man, what life would like would be for King Lou, you know, at that time. So. And that's why I feel like it's so, um, it's like the, the piano is like a companion piece to it. You know, because it's very much the same thing. I really, you really feel like you're there. Yeah. You know, you really feel like you're in this little community. And for that movie, it was more about not just the um, the colonial forces coming in to take over and change this native land, but also the role of women and how it's not just the natives that are being subjugated, but, you know, it's the women and their history in this in Europe that have always been second-class citizens and subjugated. They have no say, right? Even though they're rich white women, right? They have no say. They can't own property, right? They're basically slaves, really, you know, that are taken care of and that are given um, maybe a, a couple extra rights that other people don't have. And I think that's why, you know, Holly Hunter's character has no voice or she refuses to speak, Mm, yeah 
in the movie. So she doesn't have a voice, literally, in the movie. And um, women don't have a first, voice in that period. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And at first, it's more um, like a sign of weakness that you know women have no voice. But then her character is able to speak. It's not like she's mute. So she turns it into more of a form of protest. I mean, I have not seen the film in like decades. Right, right, right. Yeah. But th- these are the impressions that it left on me. Right. right. So she uses it as as this form of protest. Like, um, I'm not going to talk. I'm not going to talk to you. You know, um, you're not going to listen to what I say anyway. So I'm not going to talk to you. So at the end, when she chooses to live over dying, you know, at the end when she um, jumps into the water. Well, actually, it's like they're throwing the anchor over, I think, and she puts her leg in the rope mm-hmm. as it's unfurling, and the rope pulls her leg and pulls her into the water, and she has that that choice where I can either stay here and drown or I can live the life that I want to live. And so she chooses to live. So she untangles herself and she goes up and then she, yeah, she lives with the person that she wants to live with, and she. So you're comparing to this, like the oppression of men over the women in that colonial period in New Zealand, right? Um, with the, because I think the oppression here would be the capitalists, essentially chief factor, right? Um, and uh, bring bringing his like you said his their culture here but also like forcing it onto the people so they also have their culture but it's really the culture for chief factor because he wants to feel like he's above everybody and everyone kind of works for him right so mm-hmm. um it's really not about the culture for anybody else but for him and the guy and his uh military friends Right. Well, it's culture in in the form of a power structure. Right. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So they they feel like their culture is superior and they're bringing it over, but they're also bringing over the whole power structure. And in England, it's like everyone's white there, but there's definitely that power structure, that class system, right? If you're not born, well-born into like a landowning family, so you're either like that landowning family or you're the merchant class or you're just, <laughs> you know, you're just, um, I don't even know what they would call them, just a, just a common worker, right? A laborer, you know, like lower than low. So, um, so they're just bringing that whole um, system and they're trying to implant it into this new world. Yeah. So, but I feel like they're just very similar just because of um, that aspect. And also, um, you know, Holly Hunter's character and King Lou and um, Cookie's character are all trying to make their way. Yeah in the body they were born with in you know the, in their, and, and they're yearning in to figure out how to get out of it right to to get past this point right 
Because they're hitting kind of a wall of, I guess, oppression, right? It's like, how do we, how do I get past this and be able to live freely? Yeah. Well, they, they talk about that. Well, at least, especially Kiwi talks about that almost through, throughout the entire film. He's just mm-hmm. obsessed with it. Um, he's trying to constantly figure out how to get past it, how to make a better life for himself. Mm-hmm. Because sometimes I think it must be so hard to do that at that time, looking the way he looks. Mm-hmm. Like you would think, wouldn't it be just easier to stay in China <laughs> and use all those entrepreneurial skills that you have and make something in your own native country? where you're not working against so many barriers and obstacles. Well, there, there was a point in the movie where he and Cookie talk about how they see America. And King Lou was mentioning how he traveled all over it, but this place where he is now is different from any place else because he feels like it offers a lot of opportunity that he wouldn't get elsewhere and mm-hmm. i think that was the idea that was sold to people for immigrants to come to america like this is new land and you can build it however you want to build it right and that mostly for white americans though true but he didn't he just didn't see himself like that he just i think was part of that idea right so mm-hmm. um, yeah he has a very like i wrote it down he has this very quotable quote History isn't here yet. Yeah, right, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, and I think for him, like for me, I just, maybe I'm just more cynical, but I was like, hmm. Well, that's how you see it now, of course. But what I'm saying (laughs) is from King Lou's perspective, you know, that's how he sees. I mean, in in a sense, you're more like Cookie. Cookie didn't necessarily agree with King Lou in that sense. He's like, this this place is kind of old. What are you talking about? You know, there's nothing here. So, um, sorry, go ahead. Oh, no, I was going to say that I think Cookie, because he was an indentured servant and maybe because he's Jewish and he was probably like, um, you know, there's like a stigma to that in, um, in America. You know, he probably just felt like this is how it is and this is how it's always going to be. King Lou doesn't have that sort of religious baggage, but he has his ethnic makeup that is a challenge for him here. But um, because he can look past it, he feels like everybody else can look past it too. Absolutely. Yes. That's exactly what he thinks. Yeah. Yeah. And I think like eventually, you know, the Chinese were able to get a foothold, but they did have to go the route of many discriminated against ethnic groups. They had to take jobs that nobody else wanted to do, right? Like that's why they became lots of like farmers and laundry workers, restaurant owners. Like they're trying to find avenues that that the marketplace had a void in that white people weren't really doing and that they're going to do it and they're going to do it cheaper and that's why they were able to build these businesses cuz they saw that that opportunity mm. you know but again it's just like in markets where they were allowed to participate in like 
Asian people weren't allowed to own land for a long time. Yeah. But I don't you know. think I don't think he saw it that way. He just saw it as an opportunity. No, he he was he was definitely optimistic and a capitalist yes. through and through. Yeah. Yeah. He, he bought into the capitalist idea. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like part of the reason why he could pair up with Cookie, like he was so eager to do that, is like, well, this white guy can do all, he can be the face of the business. Do you know what I mean? Yes, that's true. Like, Cookie can be the beard. Like, Cookie can buy the house. <laughs> like, if he has all these plans, Cookie could be the one to buy the house, right, for the bed and breakfast or the hotel. He could be the one to buy the, the land for a farm. Because he's white, he can he can do all these things. You know, he's allowed to participate in that in that way. But you know, but could you realize he he's not really he has to sort of stay behind the scenes to get ahead? Right. I it, mean, that's what that's the heart of being a marginalized person in society. Like it's literally you are on the margins of society. Yeah. Like you're not allowed to participate in this. So you have to find a way and you end up finding a way on the margins of society. Like well, um, even when the, the uh, Jewish gangsters in New York, they're, they're Jewish because why? Because Jews weren't allowed to participate in other economic ventures because of the religious discrimination. So they went into criminal activity to make money with the Italians, yeah. you know. Um, also, when you see the uh, chief factor, you know, have everyone's waiting in line, but he went straight to the front of the line because mm-hmm. he, he could, you know, and that's sort of like an example. And nobody of, said anything. No one said a thing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it's an example of how things were run back then, even now, of course. Yeah. So yeah. Um, yeah, he knew he was the man. So yeah. he's the man. And he's just going to, if he wants one of these oily cakes, he's going to. He's going to get it. He's going to get whatever he wants. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. He's not going to wait in line and he's not going to ask permission. Yeah. Yeah. It was another, another wonderful thing about the movie showing how people are trying to get ahead, but the people on top will always keep you from getting there. Sure. Because it it endangers their power position. Mm-hmm. Their livelihood, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. It's like, why introduce more competition? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's like, I why, have why, why? all this. <laughs> Look, I don't need you here. Yeah. I don't want to fight this oily cake empire that's going to build. <laughs> right. <Yeah. laughs> Oh man, or yeah, or he just takes it over, right? But um, yeah, that was that was pretty funny. It's just yeah, I mean, I feel like that in a way, a watered down version of that is white privilege. Yeah, you know the the way the chief factor just cuts to the front of the line and <laughs> oh, absolutely, yeah, doesn't even think twice about. So yeah, the watered down modern version of that would be white privilege, and you know, I you know, and white people push back on that. There's no such thing, but it's like, really, come on, like let's be reasonable here. Well, they don't see it. Yeah, yeah. 
So, or they all. just don't want to acknowledge it. You know, it's like if George Floyd was white, do you think it would have escalated to that degree? No. Yes. I mean, they don't <laughs> see how they have a, a skewed version of what it should be, right? And if everyone behaved like them, everything would be okay. But they don't realize that the people of color don't get those same privileges. It's just the fact people of color, especially black Americans are not treated the same way. Yeah. You know, they're not afforded that benefit of the doubt, right? Or that just, just that extra ounce of humanity. You know, I even wonder sometimes if George Floyd was a very light skinned black man, if that he would have been like if he would have treated, treated yeah. if he would have been treated the same way. Yeah, I feel like he wouldn't be. You know, think, if he was like right. a lights, if he looked like Steph Curry, that would not have happened. I don't think. You know, and who knows? I could be wrong, but I just feel like, you know, it's it's unfortunate, and um, you know, that's why everything just kind of blew up. My feeling is necessarily always. I have trouble with the aggressive um, Asian attacks. It's more about the microaggression Asian attacks. Because mm -hmm. to me, the ag very aggressive ones, they're just, it's just pointless Crazy people. to debate with them because their opinion's not going to change, right? Right. And it's, it just is what it is. And that's how I deal with it. So um, the microaggressions, though, are typically done by people who claim to be uh, anti-racist, but they don't realize their actions uh, harm the ones they're you know, talking down to, even though they don't realize they're talking down at all. Mm -hmm. So to me, those are more problematic for me just because how do you engage with them? How do you talk with them in a way to make them understand and a lot of times it happens in work environments so you can't really sort of you know bring up the subject so easily and it makes it difficult and it makes it the work environment not so friendly even though generally it's a friendly work environment you know mm -hmm. so yeah yeah no it's Okay, I'm just going to liken it to sexual harassment, kind of. So, you know, if you're a woman and you're working on a set or whatever, and, you know, somebody makes a comment and you're like, hmm, and then you just try to laugh it off or whatever. And culturally, girls, and I feel like especially Asian girls, <laughs> that's why, like, some of these things are very specific, male, female, Asian related. But Asian women are really encultured to uh, be quote unquote good, mm -hmm. you know, to get along, to go along, or go along to get along, um, not make a fuss, not make waves, right? Not to be any kind of trouble. And so you're sitting there and you kind of laugh off like weird sexist comments or weird comments about how you look or blah, blah, blah. And then because you don't confront them about it, because you don't want to lose your job, then they think that you're in on it. Right. 
right? Yeah. Oh, she's cool, you know. And then they just keep doing it. So it's just, and then you're just like, God, when is this going to be over? <laughs> like, when's the yeah, last yeah. day? Of, when's the last day of this? I can't take this anymore. But I mean, that's you just become entwined, and um, you can't confront them because again it's that power structure we were talking about right mm -hmm. like they're the head on the totem pole right we're on the bottom of the totem pole so um the the bottom of the totem pole can't call the head of the totem pole sexist or racist you know that just doesn't work so unfortunately but well, I think it's I important. Know. Hopefully things are changing. But I think things are slowly changing. But mm -hmm. I think it's important to be vocal about it. I think a lot of times people just don't know because they're not familiar with the other person's experience. You know? And a lot of times if you're on the top of the food chain, right, you don't mm -hmm. really think about the bottom of the food chain because it's just not part of what you deal with. You know? And yeah, I think calling them out and making them uncomfortable may make may force them to rethink their ideas. Mm -hmm. um, no, I think you're right. It is slowly changing. The whole Me Too movement, you know, did help with all that, um, and all the the protests over George Floyd are helping with more sensitivity i guess but i also think for me like as a younger woman in the industry i i didn't have the strength or confidence to do that yeah at that time but now that i'm an old lady <laughs> and i really am not putting up with any shit like if i was in the same situation then it would be different you know i'd have to choose my words carefully but yeah you'd, you'd want to like nip that in the bud for sure right well but i think it's also important to have that support because mm -hmm. without the b2 movement i think a lot of women may not step forward because they don't feel like they're getting support you know and no you wouldn't have you wouldn't have worked again exactly yeah, and yeah. I feel like, like who's doing the hiring the guy that you just pissed off then you're not working again for him, you know, or any crew that he's running. Yeah. But it's important. I think, I think what I've learned over the, over time is when a person is in position of power, that person in position of power often is shielded from the little things that happen on set. Right. Mm -hmm. And, or let's say in any work environment. Right. And, because they shouldn't be bothered by such minuscule things because you have to worry about bigger things. At least that's the mentality, right? But I, right. I feel like the, as you, as the person is the higher in the food chain, they have to spend even more time learning and seeing if other things are issues and make the people who work directly below them, who are a little bit more involved, um, comfortable to come to them if any issues arise right mm -hmm. and i think a lot of times that shielding is part of the problem because i think i really do believe a lot of these execs don't really know but i think it's their job to make 
make it possible for them to know, you know, and to make their employees uh, find out and uh, present the information to them, you know, what's happening. And they need to be responsible for it. So just not knowing shouldn't be an excuse, you know. So they have, because you are getting the executive title, that executive title means that you're also responsible for everyone's uh, livelihood. Yeah. Yeah. I think Ellen's going through that right now, it seems like. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I agree. And at the same time, though, I feel like the, a lot of people on the top of the food chain are aware of that. So it's almost a protective measure, right? The not knowing. Could be. Like, well, I didn't yeah. know. I didn't know. Like maybe they kind of had an inkling, but that's they have that excuse in their back pocket. Right. It's like, I don't deal with that. And, you know, I'm sorry that happened. Those people have been replaced, blah, blah, blah. So it, it, it you're right. It does insulate them from a lot of bad behavior. Um, but ultimately, yeah, you're the captain of the ship, right? So you need to be aware of all the what's going on in the lower decks, I guess. So. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's the first thing that should be a priority to them. Not so much making the business work. I mean, that should be a priority too, but just as much as making the people who work for you a safe environment. And you should go, and I think it's harder as you move up, so you should spend even more time doing it so you can get there. I'm sure it's just like every show and every shoot has its culture, right? A set. A David Fincher set is going to feel different than a Judd Apatow set, yeah. right? It's coming from them, and then they hire the people under them to be in charge of the army. Absolutely, right? yeah. Of the, all the other below-the-line people. So they really set the tone. So if your tone is like intimidation, right? Mm -hmm. And um, fear <laughs> to keep people in line and to keep the production going smoothly, then that's the that's the atmosphere on set. And I don't know, like you hear stories, right? Oh yeah. And but then if it's a, it's another <laughs> it's another set, and it's like free flowing and it's more of a good time, it's more casual, and you know people are still able to get their work done. It's like yeah, it's totally different. So yeah. The, the the person in charge is in charge of the cultural the culture on the set and going back to the film it's just the power structure that they set up right and it's just the the way that they communicate with people like from day one you can tell you know the chief factor talks to people a certain way yeah and that's how the town is run so Oh, I wanted to make one comment about you were saying that some people don't know what they're saying is offensive. And um, I remember when I was um, in Chicago, I was in film school and these, the you know, I was working on some project and these ladies, they're both Asian. They were talking about how they were doing this benefit 
and they were checking people in like there's this table and then you check people in and she was working with these two white ladies and they were just giggling and laughing and making fun of all the Asian names and she's sitting there like hi I'm Asian <laughs> like, yeah. I'm sitting right here next to you and they were just they had like whoosh, like they had no idea what they were doing was racist or offensive. Yeah. And she, but she didn't. She's like, but I didn't say anything. <laughs> now, do you feel mad at yourself for not saying anything? No, I didn't. I, it wasn't me. It was this lady that oh. I was um, working with. But I don't know. Like maybe she felt like she just wasn't in a position to say anything. So. Mm, I see. But yeah, at the time that she she didn't say anything because it's a lot of. Um, then you're going to be attacked for being PC or too sensitive, right? Yeah, but they always or, say that. You're just, oh, you're just being too sensitive. Right. And I'm like, no, right. it's just because the other person didn't speak up, you know? Right. Or, you know, but and you can't, or you can't associate their experience with my experience. We're different people, mm -hmm. you know? Right. And just because you've interacted with, let's say, five uh, Asians or five women, but and this one woman acts differently doesn't make that the you know the five and just five and that's not that many mm -hmm. uh, uh, represents all women. Yeah. So. Mhm. Mm yeah. yeah. No, I don't know. Like I don't know if she'd feel different nowadays, or maybe it's just not her personality to be confrontational. Again. But I think like you're saying, <laughs> like you're saying, as you get older, you like you know you tend to. You know, not quote unquote, not give a fuck, right? So it's mm -hmm. it's more you you f tend to want to fight back more, right? And want to say something. At least, I mean, that's how I feel. You know, at least on set. So I tend to definitely say that more. You you just I just don't live in that kind of fear anymore. Yeah. You know, I just don't fear that re retaliation. Right. And I don't fear being told that um, my reaction to something is incorrect. Yeah. You know, so it's like now, do you think if someone puts because, you down. I mean, mm -hmm. I think a lot of times, sometimes it could be with financial issues, too. Because I don't know how it was for you when you were younger. But for me, it was very difficult for me to make any kind of money. And my parents weren't rich by any means. They're very poor. And uh, sometimes you have to just not say things just so you can collect a paycheck, which is not great either. Mm -hmm. you know? And mm -hmm. that sort of enforces that idea, you know, the oppression idea, like similar to First Cow. You know? So um, did that happen for you too? Yeah. Yeah, there was... I mean, there were times, but in a more passive-aggressive way for me. Because when you can't speak out, then you p become more passive-aggressive. You know, when you feel yeah. like you can't speak out. So for me, it was, I remember um, this one audition I did. The, the role required some nudity. And, you know, I'm an adult woman. I'm like, okay, fine. You know, I can handle being topless or whatever. So I, I do the audition. I'm not nude or anything, but um, the guy directing the film is kind of a well-known B-movie actor who was there during the audition. And we do the scene, and he's like, you're great. 
you know, you definitely have this role. Um, just don't tell your agent you have it. Mm. You know, but you're okay with doing the, the, the nudity, right? And I was like, you know, and then this is like all the women out there and men too, like, listen to your inner voice. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, don't, don't, don't do something because you feel like um, you should. Yeah, really listen to that inner voice, especially when you feel like it's trying to warn you of a dangerous situation. So I was like, yeah, okay. And I even felt as I was leaving the audition and walking to my car, like, I need to leave here as fast as possible and just get the hell out of this situation. So the first thing I did when I got back to my apartment was to call my agent. Because they were so adamant about me not calling. And I was like, oh, yeah, they said I got it, you know, but I don't know. I don't know. I'm sort of re rethinking it. And then he had my my number. So he calls me later. Who? The, the guy? He's the, the, the B-movie okay, yeah. actor who's going to direct this movie. And he's yelling at me. It's like, why did you tell your agent? Why did you tell your agent when we told you not to tell them? And I said, oh, I was just, and you played dumb, right? Oh, I was just so excited. I just couldn't, you know, I, I just wanted to, to give them a heads up before you called, you know. I was just too excited. Paul said, well, you're not going to do it now. I hope you're happy. And I hung up the phone. I was like, phew. <laughs> Thank God. I felt like, wow, that's like a, like you feel like you're you're walking into a situation where, things are going to get out of hand. It's like, what is this going to become? Some kind of weird porno? Yeah. You know, like you just feel very, very strange, you know, and as a young woman, there are just no safeguards for you on set if things start going that way, you know, and if you feel all this pressure and you don't speak, you know, you don't feel like you can speak out because of this whole power structure around you, then you do feel like um, a lot of women probably were talked into doing things that they later regretted. Yeah. You know, because there's no one there. There's no one from SAG there. If there's a scene that has nudity, there's no one from SAG or the unions or anyone there to keep an eye on, out and make sure no one's doing anything weird, you know, or um, untoward. So, so yeah, so for me, it was more like that. It was more like avoiding situations and avoiding work because I didn't want to get into those situations where I had to speak out. Because speaking out at that point for me was more, um, it just was very stressful yeah. to be that confrontational, you know? But again, now when you're older and you, you have a little bit more sense of self and confidence, then you feel like you would be able to stick up for yourself. Um, you know, and keep yourself safe. It's great that you also, but you were still able to fight it in your own way. You know, like. Yeah. I mean, I didn't fight out, say, get away from me, you creep. You know, I yeah, wasn't you, like, you, you know, that kind of person. To, but you were trying to arrange a situation where they would get rid of you. Right. Whereas mm -hmm. some people may just, you know, well, you know, I could use the job. I could use this role, you know, and then they will do it. And that's just not worth it. You know, in the end. And some people no, even telling you just now, my heart is racing because oh, yeah. I felt so scared 
You know what I mean? Yeah. Like you just feel very like as a girl, like you just are very aware of when a situation is is going sideways. I think. Yeah. Like for your own safety, for your own physical safety, because it's. Um, I'm not going to say the threat is the threat of rape is always out there, but it's like we're not as strong as men are physically. You know, it doesn't take a lot to physically overpower us. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? So you you're always sort of on guard, and you're just you you want to make sure everyone is like uh, respecting boundaries. And I just didn't feel like this guy was respecting boundaries at all and I felt like if I took this job that I mean think about it you're in this remote location right you're shooting god knows what scene that requires nudity and it's like how many nude scenes are there like you don't know yet you don't have the script you don't have anything you know so um for women you just and for actors you just have to um male or female you just have to be strong enough to walk away and be strong enough to say, I'm not comfortable with this. You know, asked for the scene to be rewritten, maybe. And that's a big ask. Yeah. If you're nobody, right, and you're just starting out. So. And they prey on that desperation, which is part of the, the biggest problem, you know. And, mm-hmm. and don't, no one should ever give into that. Right. And they, they also prey on the fact that they are in that position of power, you know, and this is like some nothing B movie, right? right? Like we're talking Harvey Weinstein, where he is in charge of these Academy Award winning movies. And he's <laughs> basically telling you, like, you either do this with me and you get this Oscar part or I'm going to talk shit about you and no one's going to hire you again. And that's what he did. Yeah, he abused that power. You know? yeah. I mean, he ruined, like, some women didn't work again for decades. So the threat is real. You know, the threat was real. So hopefully that's been squashed. But, but yeah, it's just, you're talking about microaggressions on set. Like for women, like we, we don't do the microaggressions, but we do do things like, um, change careers, right? No, no, like the I've microaggressions from the, uh, the oppressor. Right. right, right. I mean, for you, like you experience like microaggressions towards you. Oh, right. Yes. Um, and you're able to maybe, you know, say some things now that you've been in the business a while, right? Um, but for women, like, um, if you don't feel like you you have the support to say anything, you start you start doing things like changing careers, right? Yeah. Or um, you start like me, like sabotaging auditions, mm-hmm. <laughs> or you know, not taking roles or not going in for things, you know. So you're really limiting your. I see. Yeah your um, income potential and doing things because of the threat of being in really uncomfortable situations. So so do you feel like then the better thing to do would be to call him out, that guy out? I think looking back now, 
I feel like I did the right thing. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I think I did tell my agent later that I just felt very uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. You know, but I, I wasn't like the type to say, all right, now we have to mobilize and we have to cancel this guy and yeah. I'm going to put it out there on, you know, whatever. We didn't really have social media. We just had the, the That internet. was part of the culture but, back um, then, too, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And if, like, then then what? Like, if I say something, then he's going to tell people not to cast me in anything. Right. Do you know what I mean? It's like, yeah. I have barely had a career to begin with, and then you have this person um, saying that you're a terrible you're irresponsible and you, you know, you can't take a simple direction. Like don't tell your agent <laughs> you got this rule. So, um, yeah. So who knows? Well, I mean, yeah. I, I think in that situation, it, yeah, I don't think I would have right. played it any differently. Yeah. yeah. That makes sense. Oh, and we didn't tell the people. So which Asian persuasion are you? Well, me? Since, yeah. Uh, since my uh, podcast is Asian fail. I am of, Chinese descent from both my mother and father. My my mother uh, grew up in Taiwan, and my dad grew up in uh, Myanmar. Mm-hmm. Yep. So would you so consider? So do you say Myanmarese, or do you say Burmese? I would say Burmese. Um, you would say Burmese, uh, okay. But he's so he's culturally Burmese. Mm-hmm. I don't think I've ever heard of Myanmarese. Yeah. Yeah. Me either. That's interesting. And then how did they feel when you wanted to go into film? Oh, my parents. Oh, mm-hmm. well, this is what we're talking about now. <laughs> um. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, we kind of went right into the movie and I was like, oh, yeah, my podcast is called Asian Fail. <laughs> like, okay. And cause, so, <laughs> so, Gavin, when, why are you not a lawyer or a doctor? Um, my dad is not a normal man in any ways. So he has very interesting ideas about many kinds of things. Uh, he did not grow up in any traditional family health, Asian family household. He was an immigrant since he was in his early twenties, like a refugee. So mm-hmm. he struggled a lot and he also never really cared too much about money that much. So that is know, not very Asian. <laughs> yes, right. My that mom is not very Chinese. <laughs> my mom, however, is kind of traditional in that aspect that she would want me to be a doctor and lawyer and all those kind of things. Um, I think she I don't know what she was never really super pushy about it with me. Um, I mean she did all the traditional you know Asian mom things where they, you would they would compare you to other their friends' kids, right? Oh, oh your friends yeah. is doing mm. really well here. Why can't you oh, be doing this, Gavin? You're yeah. bringing it back. <laughs> you're bringing it back. Um, but you know, I think I was just never really. I didn't really care about that. Like, I don't think I ever remembering getting upset or it pushed me or anything. I just dismissed what my mom said and thought okay whatever you could think you could keep thinking that so in that sense i was probably more like my dad where i just didn't i just thought had my own opinions about things that's good so any young people out there listen to gavin (laughs) (laughs) 
Don't listen to your parents. No. Well, I'm also, sure. when I was working in the industry and I was starting to make money, I think my mom at some point just left alone because she knew I was making money. So it's. It yeah, you're not matter. homeless. Exactly. Yes. So yeah. in the end, that's what they really, all they really want. You know? so, yeah. yeah. I mean, the title of the podcast is obviously like irony and it's all in jest, you know. Um, I am for sure not saying all Asian parents are like this. I'm just saying that for some reason, <laughs> I know a lot of people who have a lot of pressure put on them to go into traditional routes, professional degrees, et cetera, et cetera. So it's just interesting to hear from people who did not. And um, you and Jason Tobin, both your, your parents were pretty, um, Jason's dad was pretty supportive of it he's the one who encouraged him to go into acting actually and oh, it wow. sounds like That's your great. parents just gave you the freedom of choice yeah you know and i know a lot of people unfortunately that they don't really have that so well also my my parents couldn't really do much about it because they both were working and <laughs> They couldn't, they can't, I mean, they couldn't control what I was doing. So, I mean, most of the time I was home by myself. They were never. You took advantage of no child care. No child care, yeah. Yeah. You were a free range child. Yeah. Also, also yeah. in this, at that time, you know, I was a latchkey kid, which doesn't oh, really. so was I. Right. But that doesn't exist now, right? No. Because your parents would go to jail. <laughs> Your parents would totally go to jail nowadays. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. If, if we were, if your kids are latchkey kids, you would go to jail. I, so I am old. <laughs> I grew up in the 70s and the 80s, right? I graduated high school in 88. I was walking home from school in grade school with my key. Yeah, Nobody me too. was home. Yeah, I did that too, yeah. So if you were, uh, if, nowadays, if you're a home and you're eight... <laughs> And you're home by yourself. That could get you arrested if you were the oh, parent. I didn't know that. Oh, yes. Like people, I remember reading this one CNN story. These two girls were walking home from school, just walking home, and this police car rolls up and it's like, "Why are Why isn't nobody walking you home?" And they're like, "Because we live three blocks away." And their parents got like a talking to because they were on the I know. I mean, that's that city, but th right. that's where it is nowadays. Like every city is different, but there's, yeah, there's like strict rules now. Oh. Like kids playing at the park by themselves, you know, no, that, your that parents one. could get in trouble for that. I know. That's I know. Terrible. So we had a lot more freedom, I feel like, our generation. Yeah. Like we were sort of the last generation of free range children <laughs> where you could just ride your bike all day and no one's you know there's no cell phones around or anything you just come home when you're finished playing with <laughs> yeah, your friends <laughs> that's it Pretty it's like much. no one's looking for you <laughs> they're just gonna you know trust that you're gonna come home for dinner and that was it yeah right yeah, yeah. but nowadays so gavin if you get married and have children do not let them walk home by themselves under the age of, I don't even know what the age would be. They would probably have to be in middle school by the time 
you wouldn't be arrested for letting them stay home by themselves. Yeah. No, somebody has to be home with them. I think they call that neglect. <laughs> Nowadays. <laughs> that would be called child neglect. <laughs> I mean, I feel and like your that parents was my would whole be in childhood. big trouble. My whole childhood was I that. know. Yeah. <laughs> so was mine. Yeah. And I had a younger brother and sister, and I was the one in charge of them. So, yeah. That wow. too, not a good, not a good idea nowadays. <laughs> Having the older kid be in charge of the two little kids. <laughs> you know, I, I was in Munich recently, and uh, well, last year, right? And uh, they, I can see kids running around by themselves without parents going to school on their own, and they were pretty young. I was like, and I was just kind of shocked to see that because I haven't seen that in so long. Yeah. I mean, like I said, every city is different. You know, I don't think um, I don't think most cities are that strict. Yeah. But for whatever reason, that city was very strict about kids being unaccompanied under a certain age. Right. So, I don't know. I feel like, like we all worry. You, you hear about kidnappings and whatnot, but you just feel like these kids nowadays they don't have the independence we did. Yeah. And then you have to wonder, like, how does that affect their creativity, right? Their social skills. Their confidence, you know, too. Yeah. Their confidence of yeah. being able to do things by themselves. And then just their brain development. Like, when you're just hanging out with your friends and um, trying to figure out what to do, you know, you really have to problem solve a lot of things. For sure. <laughs> on your own, you know. So, I don't know. That's a whole. That's a whole different thing. I I remember but, I was um, home by myself, and I lit a batch, and I dropped <gasps> it on the floor of my living room. See, that's why they don't let kids stay home by themselves. But, Gavin. Just so you know, I grabbed a bowl of water and just dumped it on the on the, on the match, even though there was no fire well, happening. <laughs> but okay, so. Lucky for you, there happened to be a bowl of water ready to go. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. I, I, I uh, you know, I, I, I filled the bowl. <laughs> yeah. Oh, okay. So you were thinking, okay, in case I burn the house down, right. I have this bowl of water. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. But that's that's what I mean. Like, that's why. <laughs> <laughs> that's why. They, I'm sure there were one too many times where they... The fire department had to be called because two kids were home alone. Yeah, but how you know? many of those kids that did that, like me, they didn't cause a fire? We'll never know. Because <laughs> <laughs> that's what happens. Like you, you hear about things like that, right? Setting off fires. You hear about kids getting into their parents' gun collections. You know, with a bad result, a tragic result. So it's all these things about, okay, no more kids being left to home alone and all these laws were passed. Just wow. a word. <laughs> a warning. Good to know. <laughs> call Good to know. a babysitter. <laughs> you have children, Gavin. Call a babysitter. Don't be like, if you do something, fill a bowl of water before you do it, okay? And right. then I'm out. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Have a good week. You too. Nice chatting with you. That's the best nice part. Nice chatting with yeah. you. Nice seeing you again. Yeah. Bye. Okay. Bye. I wanted to follow up with a couple show notes. I looked it up and Hong Kong was ruled by the British from 1840 to 1997.
So King Lu would not have learned English in Hong Kong during that time. Um, this The movie takes place around 1820 in Oregon. And I also poked around and was looking up stuff about latchkey kids. So definitely check your city and county, possibly. Um, the rules are all over the place. It just varies so much from state to state, city by city. And um, when in doubt, ask Google. So that's it for this week. Thanks so much for listening. Please review the show if you like it and uh, subscribe so you can get them. It's a little intermittent right now because I've got so much going on with the homeschooling and etc. etc. But everybody take care, wear your masks, stay safe. We will get through this. 